From the grassroots media team at Weave News, this is Interweave It. Welcome to episode 18 of Interweaving. I'm John Collins. It's now been over two months since we issued our Weave News call for audio submissions regarding the impact of COVID-19 on local communities around the world. The number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 globally is now approaching 5 million. That's according to the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center. Today, we hear from university students reporting from the Northeastern United States and Pakistan. They highlight a range of issues, including effects on the food system, healthcare, education, job prospects, human rights, and everyday life during the pandemic. Hello, my name is Brianna Dugan. Today is May 1st, 2020, and I am reporting from Central New Hampshire. I am a current freshman at St. Lawrence University, and COVID-19 has affected nearly every aspect of our lives. Today, I want to give my account of how this pandemic has affected the food system in my community and my own household. I live in a rural area, and we only have one grocery store. During the first few weeks at home, there were shortages of mainly paper products like toilet paper and cleaning supplies, but soon we noticed some food shortages had begun. My dad noticed that there was hardly any meat left in the grocery store besides very expensive cuts, and recently I went shopping for my family and there was an extremely small selection of rice and pasta, and after searching everywhere, I couldn't find flour at all. During this time, food security is likely to be at the forefront of many people's minds. The local schools have been delivering food to those in need, which is essential during a time where community members must support each other when they can. My family tries to support local businesses through buying meat from a farm close to our house. An interesting note on the importance of local farms during a food shortage is that this farm in particular made almost seven times more money in one weekend when stocking up on food seemed to be at its peak. This shows how when the grocery stores run out, these local farms are really supporting the town. At home, I am lucky enough to have egg-laying chickens and my family tries to raise its own meat when we can. Currently, we're raising 100 chickens and soon we'll have six pigs. To increase our own food self-sufficiency, we have begun planting a garden with a variety of vegetables. My dad and I built garden beds together, and so far our peas and yellow tomatoes are growing the best. During a pandemic, it is important to look out for one another and buy only what you need. While I'm sure every region is different, I wanted to shed some light on my rural food system. Thank you for listening, and I hope this finds everyone safe and healthy. Hey y'all, my name is Quinn Ashmore. Today is Thursday, May 7th, 2020, and I'm reporting from Waldoboro, Maine in the United States. I wanted to get some thoughts out today that have been on my mind during this pandemic. I will be telling a story about an experience my mother and my family had with the testing capabilities in Maine. So uh, let's get started. My mother, Dr. Mary Ashmore, is a family doc who co-owns a practice here in the Midcoast. Quarantine with her has allowed me direct access to her experiences, seeing patients, and dealing with our country's healthcare system. 
A few weeks back, my mom came home from work and told me that a patient who had flu-like symptoms came into the office that day. They had been asked screening questions, like all our patients, but had neglected to mention that they had just gotten back from Europe until they were in the office with mom. My mother prepped a test for COVID and told the patient that they had to stay in quarantine until the results came back. While waiting for a result, my mom stressed constantly about possibly exposing others and us. We needed to know the results of that test for everyone involved. A week went by and there was no word. My mother called the lab for an update, but was told that they had shipped the sample to a different lab and they directed her there. After calling the second lab, she was told that they simply did not have enough tests and most samples were just being frozen until they did. During this time, my mother continued to work, but the rest of us stayed home and did not go out for any reason. It was a day under two weeks before it came back with a negative result. Although relieved at the fact that we were not exposed and our patient was well, we all knew that if the test had been positive, things could have been much worse. Mom still had to see patients throughout that time who could have also been exposed as well as the rest of our family. The lack of testing capability Maine had for at-risk people was astounding. Maine is a small state, but cases here are growing just like any other, and they will continue to grow as long as we do not have the capability to track the spread of this virus and isolate those who are at risk. While diagnostic tests and antibody tests are not available in the quantities we need, we will not be able to manage the spread of this virus. I see politicians in the news calling what has been done so far a great success, but we are not there yet. We're not even close. Thanks for listening to that story. I originally asked my mother to make this recording so you could hear it from her, but she declined. However, I felt like the story was important enough to get out there even if you had to hear it from me. This is Quinn Ashmore. I hope you all are staying happy and healthy in these difficult times. Thank you. My name is Acacia Farber-Krug. Today is Thursday, May 7th, and I'm reporting from a small town called Barkhamstead in northwestern Connecticut. We are extremely lucky that our town has not been hit very hard by COVID-19, especially compared to the rest of my state and the whole world. Luckily, my immediate family has remained healthy, but I know people who have had the virus and two of my close friends work at hospitals in close proximity to COVID-19 patients. Since all schools and colleges have moved to remote learning, it has been hard for me to stay on top of my schoolwork and maintain motivation in this new setting. It is also hard to juggle school and home responsibilities. My brother and parents do not understand how much work I need to do for school and often interrupt me and ask me to do other things. I am extremely sad to finish my senior year in the confines of my family home rather than at school with my friends. These last few weeks would have been the last times we were able to all be together, and that has been ripped away from us. I don't know the next time I will see any of them. I 100% agree with the necessity of closing schools. However, this does not remove the severe disappointment I'm currently feeling. A big fear I have for the future is procuring a job in the current economy and job market. Acquiring a job is hard enough after graduation, without the added terror of record low employment levels. Currently, applications are being declined because positions are no longer available and companies are losing the ability to pay their workers. Thankfully, my dad is still working, however, his job requires him to go into work. My mom is self-employed and had to transfer most of her work to Zoom calls from home. After finishing my college education this week, I will focus all of my time on finding a neuroscience research position 
I probably will not be able to start anything for some time due to the hands-on nature of science, but I am hopeful I will be able to find something as we wait for the COVID-19 crisis to improve. Currently, some states and businesses are starting to reopen, and people are looking forward to being able to return to more normal behaviors. As things begin to open, I'm afraid people will not continue to take the virus seriously, and there will be another spike of cases before we have things under control. It has been hard enough to convince people to observe social distancing rules, and still, people are rioting, which I think is crazy. As the days grow nicer and summer approaches, I am lucky enough to be able to go outside in my yard and get fresh air. I have also used some of my newfound free time to get back into reading, which I love to do, but previously did not have a lot of time for. I have also been able to spend a lot more time with my family, which I was not expecting to be able to do if I got a job directly out of college. My family has been extremely careful about contact with people or outside objects. We have a second box on our porch that we put mail in after it's delivered, so it has time to decontaminate. We always wear gloves and face masks when going out into public, and we make sure we always have hand sanitizer with us. My mom has gone food shopping about every two weeks, and the store we go to is not very crowded, thankfully. When she brings food home, we put it in our cellar or wash anything that needs to be frozen or refrigerated. Since coming home from school almost a month and a half ago, I have not been in contact with anyone other than my mom, dad, and brother. The most public place I have been is our state forest, where there are not too many other people. I have not seen any of my friends in person, and my parents even made my brother stop seeing his girlfriend for the past month and a half because she is still working takeout at a restaurant and they do not want to risk COVID-19 contact. I am looking forward to being able to see people again, but I am also nervous because this virus is not going to just disappear. There will be danger for a long time, even after we are allowed by the government to go back to working and continue socializing. I also do not fully trust our administration when they do make decisions, especially regarding socializing. Our leaders seem to be extremely focused on the economy and less so on the lives and health of the people. I hope my family continues to stay safe and treatments are quickly developed to help everyone here and around the world. Stay safe and stay aware, especially as things begin to reopen. Hello, my name is Chris Davis, and today is Friday, May 1st, and I am reporting from Hudson, New York. Now, I feel like I'm in a very unique situation because my parents work for an organization which is an intentional community for people with special needs. So ever since I've gotten home, um, since spring break started, I think it was March 14th, we have been on lockdown. What that means is pretty much no one can come in, no one can leave, no one can go to the store. The way we get groceries is that employees who now are working remotely, they come in once or twice a week and then people can place orders for groceries that they want and can order them and these they will bring them into us. What I have been seeing and experiencing is the effect that People not being able to follow their regular routine has really made it very difficult for them to be in this situation. And it's just, it's been hard. I'll be honest, we are very lucky for the place that we are. 
it's a very large property where this community is and we are able to go outside and go on walks. However, day-to-day -day life has been affected tremendously because the people here who live in this community, they usually interact with the other houses and spend time with each other and are in different classes together. But now that has all changed entirely. We're not even allowed to interact with the other houses, part of the community. And what's been one very interesting way of people being able to get food and how we've been delivering food to each other is that we have these big coolers in our driveways uh, outside the houses which people from other houses can deliver food that we need to each other. The biggest change which I have noticed is how everything now it's just seeming to get a lot more simple. The way that we're living and life in general. I'm not really relying on the outside world. I'm not able to use my car. So pretty much I'm just dealing with what we have. So, I mean, and that's, I think that's a very important thing that's coming, everyone's going to gain after this pandemic is that we're going to appreciate everything we have a lot more. Now, the biggest thing that has been affecting me is watching every day these press briefings and I've had to stop watching them is because it's just, I just can't, cannot deal with it anymore with this, with this administration. It's just so frustrating. And I used to be pretty interested in politics, and I'm, I'm, this is starting to make me feel a lot more distant and not really want to have anything to do with it whatsoever. I think that the biggest thing that coronavirus has taught me and on what how I will view the world after this happens and how I'm viewing the world now is that how much I appreciate everything that is so much closer to me than I did before and all these like pri little privileges that I have, such as being able to have use my car and just little things like being able to go to the grocery store without having to wear a mask it's just like this is things are never going to be the same after this I for at least for a little while and that's just making me very appreciative for the little things in life such as just being able to spend time with my family being able to appreciate the nature we have around here and I think that's almost some of the most important things in life and I think for a lot of people it's going to make them realize the privilege that they have and that every little thing matters. And I think this is going to open a lot of people's eyes and the world is going to be a better place after this. Well, and I hope so, at least. I hope whoever is listening has a great day and please, everybody, stay safe and stay healthy. You're listening to Interweaving, a podcast of conversation and context from Weave News. Contributions from readers and listeners play a central role in helping us continue and expand our grassroots media-making efforts. If you'd like to support our work, just visit weavenews.org donate. Now, back to the show. My name is Mariam. Today is the 3rd of May, and I'm reporting from Peshawar, Pakistan. Today's been a hard day. There was a major setback in the fight for civil liberties in Pakistan, as today was the funeral for Arif Wazir. Arif Wazir was a tribal leader and one of the leading members of the party called the PTM, or the Pashtun Tahafuz Movement. Um, the PTM advocates for the rights of the Pashtun people, who are an ethnic minority in Pakistan. Arif Wazir was murdered yesterday, and his assassins have not been caught. However, we know that it was an extrajudicial killing. We know that it was organized, perpetrated, and will be covered up by the state and the military. But it has gotten even less attention. 
than it would have because of the situation with the with the virus and the lockdown and everything you know everybody's attention has been diverted and it makes me fearful of what the world is going to look like after the lockdown ends because not only in pakistan but just around the globe so many of these oppressive policies have and um, measures by the government have been allowed to pass unchecked because our attention has been somewhere else and you know rightly so like the virus situation is very mentally draining and we kind of exist in this tunnel vision where we just you know we can't look past those 24 hours we just go through those hours in the day and then await the next and we don't really feel the repercussions of the policies at the moment however we are going to feel them once the lockdown ends and i'm just fearful of what the world is going to look like and you know there's not much we can do apart from keep ourselves educated you know look beyond what the mainstream media is feeding us to really question what we are being told to look for alternative sources of news and to look beyond the shallow stories of just numbers and figures and percentages to really understand what they mean i think that's the most that we can do just keep ourselves educated keep our morale high and um, and hope for the best like i said i i don't have a lot of good news and um, i usually try to have a positive spin on things but it's been a hard day Hello, my name is Noah Astruck. Today is Thursday, May 7th, and I am reporting from Saratoga Springs, New York. The first thing that came to my mind when I heard that I was going to be home for this extended period of time is that this has been nothing but an opportunity for us. Obviously a difficult one, but if taken correctly, this could be huge for anyone in a really positive way. The first place I saw that was in my passion for musical growth and personal growth. With more free time and with less structure, I have been challenged to regiment myself in a way that will be the most lucrative for me. It has been a challenge to figure out how I can spend my time best to serve myself the most. And what I've found is that through, you know, the last one or two weeks of trial and error and persistence and and failing and figuring out ways to schedule myself i have gotten into the swing of things and it has actually been a really great opportunity for me to work on my music and to work on myself i've gotten a very consistent uh, practice routine for bass i am in a consistent routine for exercise and these are just things that without this opportunity i might not have had the same exact outlet for these two things I feel like I'm progressing musically faster than I ever have. And I also feel like from a perspective of fitness, I am doing better than I've done in a long time as far as consistency goes. The other thing that this time in quarantine has has brought for me, and I I do try to view all this from the most optimistic perspective possible, is that while I have lost a lot of connection for connection with my teachers, connection with my friends, connection with my my bandmates and my ensemble. My family is more connected than ever. 
About six or seven years ago, my mom became severely ill and she's been battling for her life ever since. And our normal family structure changed a lot during that time. We used to have family dinners with all of my brothers, my dad, and my mom every single night. And it was a great time for connection. And over the last six years, we've largely lost that. But now, for the first time in what feels like ever, at night, every night, consistently, my mom, my dad, and my brother who's home, we eat together and we connect and we have very intellectually stimulating conversations. And I don't think I would have had this opportunity again unless this outbreak occurred. So from a personal standpoint and from a family standpoint, this has provided opportunities while at the same time, it does provide a lot of challenges. It also provides opportunities to connect and to grow in a way that we haven't had before. And I am incredibly hopeful for the future because this has been such a massive event in the world. Nobody has been left unaffected. And my hope is that this will be a bit of a reality check for people to see what's going on in the world, what's not good, what's what can be improved upon. And I'm not the only person who, who has seen this as an opportunity. And it's really nice to see people who think that this could be a revolution for us. Nothing will go back to normal. Uh, people talk about when will things go back to normal? And the answer is never. Our normal is going to be unfamiliar to us. It's going to be a new normal. And I'm really excited to see what that new normal might look like. We could come out of this on the other end worse off, but I, I prefer to believe that the brilliant minds that are collaborating right now, all the ideas people are coming up with on their own in their time of isolation is going to lead to a much brighter future on the other end of this thing. I think and I hope that ultimately this outbreak will be a really great opportunity for us on the individual level, on the family level, and even globally for people to realize what they want to change. And this is providing us an opportunity to finally make those changes, whether it's social changes, political changes, personal changes. Now is the time. My name is Nicole Gotham. Today is Friday, May 8th, 2020, and I'm reporting from Watertown, New York. Over the past two months, I, like many throughout the globe, have experienced a pretty significant increase in the levels of anxiety that I experience as a sense of normalcy surrounding us in the world has crumbled during the COVID-19 pandemic. As a full-time student who was unable to return to my childhood home due to familial difficulties, I absolutely panicked when St. Lawrence University, like many universities around the United States, decided to shutter its doors for the remainder of the semester, thus forcing us to leave campus. Leaving campus meant that I lost the income that I rely upon, as I am responsible for paying for my education on my own. I work two on-campus jobs, one off-campus, and babysit a boss's daughter to make ends meet. Leaving campus also meant that I lost a steady and safe place to live. Luckily, numerous friends, professors, bosses, and my partner offered me a place to stay during the pandemic. Living as a stranger in someone else's home for an unforeseen duration of time is a strange and daunting experience. 
Figuring out the dynamics of the household while also navigating the dynamics of how society functions during an age of social isolation, while also finding the motivation to finish my degree in a haphazard online fashion, has been accomplished through a series of trials and tribulations. In adjusting to my new life, I've learned everything from how to socialize with friends on Zoom to how to make a socially distant podcast with peers across the Northeast and how to avoid my partner's childhood cat at all costs. For me, adjusting to this new normal has been a journey composing of a lot of self-reflection, particularly concerning my postgraduate plans as I graduate into what many economists are recognizing as the most devastating economic crisis we've seen in the post-World War II era. For many of us, our lives have been altered in ways that we still may not even yet come to realize. As we wonder what the future holds, a litany of questions lay unanswered before us still. Why did this happen to us? What does this mean for how I move forward with my life? How do I even begin to cope? While all of these are important to find answers to as we all continue to grieve over the state of our globe, I'm also beginning to consider the question, what can I do to help? Compassionate global citizens are the people who are going to put our world back together and forge a new reality for us all after this global crisis. While I'm absolutely terrified of not being able to find a job post-graduation amid a pandemic in a new city halfway across the nation from where I've spent my entire life, I want to find a job doing meaningful work for my new community in Bryan, Texas. While I plan to take a gap year, I've always considered going to law school, and within my postgraduate studies, I now plan on focusing on international public policy, which allows me to focus on issues of public health and how we can guide legislation to better prepare our world for the next pandemic. COVID-19 has had such a profound impact on our world, and quite frankly, this may just be the beginning. With the looming threat of climate change, experts predict that viruses like this will continue to threaten our norms of life. I want to be part of the change that is working to help find solutions as to how we prevent catastrophes such as this pandemic and the fallout from slow governmental responses that we've seen, especially across the United States. While COVID-19 has altered the definition of normal for numerous citizens throughout the globe, including myself, it's also now changed my future outlook. On behalf of the team here at Interweaving, thank you to Brianna, Quinn, Acacia, Chris, Mariam, Noah, and Nicole for sharing their COVID-19 diaries with us for today's episode. For more on how you can help us weave the world together during this global pandemic by telling your own story, please check out our project page at weavenews.org slash COVID-19diaries. Once again, that's weavenews.org slash COVID-19diaries. Until next time, thanks and take care. Interweaving is a production of Weave News, weaving the world together, one underreported story at a time. Our engineer is Terry Dubray, and our theme music is provided by Bee Children. For more exciting grassroots media content, find us online at weavenews.org or on social media at Weave News. There you can find out how you can support or join us in our work. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode of Interweaving.